All right. Well, hey, good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome out to this third week uh, in a series that we started a few weeks ago now in this just this incredible Old Testament book, uh, the book of Amos. And uh, like Sarah Beth just mentioned a moment ago, if you're a guest with us here today or if you missed the past couple of weeks, hey, thanks so much for being with us and taking some time and investing that here with us. But if you have missed the past couple of weeks, what we've been doing is we've been journeying through, like we said, just this incredible book of the Bible, this incredible Old Testament book, uh, the book of Amos. What we said is, we said this is a book of the Bible that is oftentimes overlooked. Uh, It's kind of this small, obscure, nine-chapter little minor prophet in the Old Testament. And quite honestly, for many of us, uh, we probably have never read the book of Amos. Or if we have, uh, we probably don't remember much about it because maybe uh, we've never done like an in-depth study on the book of Amos. And yet what we said is this, is we said that even though this book of the Bible is oftentimes overlooked and it's one that is not super popular, we said that this this book of the Bible is uh, strikingly relevant to us today. Uh, we said that in our cultural situation that we find ourselves in here in 21st century America, uh, that the book of Amos is extremely, extremely relevant to us. And so for that reason, what we've been doing is we've actually been taking several weeks through this series to kind of journey through the book of Amos to really kind of unpack the message and the meaning of this book and talk about how it applies to us and maybe see what God would have uh, for us through this book. So that's what we're doing. And so as we uh, kick into the third week of this series, I want to encourage you and invite you to grab your Bibles and let's just go ahead and get right back into it. And today I want to encourage you to go with me to Amos chapter 2. Okay, so grab your Bibles if you got them. Let's go ahead and flip over to Amos chapter 2. Amos 2, by the way, if you did not bring a Bible with you here this morning, that's no problem at all. You can just take one of our Bibles that are uh, in those chairs that are underneath you or in front of you, and you can go ahead and turn to page uh, 638 in those black Bibles is where you're going to find Amos 2. So you can go ahead and flip there. You can go ahead and you can find that, and that would be an awesome way to do that. Also, uh, if you're a smartphone person or a tablet person, Sarah Beth mentioned the new app. Um, If you download that new app, that's actually a pretty wonderful way that you can also access the Bible that way. And so we'd encourage you maybe to do that as well. So Amos chapter 2, go ahead and get there. And then of course, let me just also say, if you don't own a Bible, like if you don't have a, a physical copy of the Bible yourself, we would love for you to have one. And you can actually just take one of ours and make that a gift from us to you. We think, we think it'd be good that you have that. So Amos 2, however you get there, we'd love it if you'd flip there. So as, as you're turning there, um, let me tell you a quick story Something that happened a few weeks ago that I think is, is pretty relevant to our conversation today. So if you, if you are a guest here, or if we've never met, uh, let me just tell you a little bit about my family. Uh, so my name is Tony. I'm the campus pastor here at the Medina East Campus. And my wife and I, my wife Jessica and I, we've been married now for uh, 10 years. So we're actually in our 11th year right now. And we currently have three kids. So we have an eight-year-old son, we have a six-year-old son, and then we have a one-and-a-half-year-old princess. And so she's, she's our only girl, she's a princess. So we have three kids. And actually, actually technically, we have four kids uh, because we, fo- we found out recently that we're going to be expecting again. And so the Lavigny family is going to be, yeah, hey, thank you. Appreciate that. Yeah, so thanks. I appreciate it. I, I've had people, once we told them that we we're going to have four, I've had people say, man, four kids, you must really like kids. And my response is always to remind them, no, it's not so much that I like kids as it is that I really like my wife. (laughs) And that's how that works. So if you don't know what I'm talking about, ask your mom later. You'll be in for an awkward conversation. (laughs) But but so anyway, a a few weeks ago, um, my family and I, we were getting ready to go somewhere. I don't even know where we were going, but we were trying to corral the kids to go get in the van and, uh, and to go. And uh, when we were doing that, it's kind of an ordeal. You guys know if you have small kids, it's kind of an ordeal to do that. But my wife announced before we all got in the van that she had just got done baking a fresh batch of these banana muffins that she makes. 
And you gotta understand, for our family, that's a big deal. Uh, because these banana muffins that my wife makes, they are, she's been working on them for like the past 10 years, and she has perfected the recipe. Uh, they are, she, they're like these mini muffins, and they are just the perfect amount of moisture. They are delicious. They taste as if they came directly from the hand of God. They're just awesome. And so they're a big hit. My, all, all my kids love them. We love them. Um, and it's, it's kind of one of her specialties. And so she said, uh, hey, I just got done baking some banana muffins. So she said, everyone grab some muffins and get in the van. And so, of course, the kids swarm. They all grab muffins. They get in the van. And I was the last one to get in the van. I was doing something at the house. And so I, I went out and, you know, was taking care of something. And then I went out to the van. And before I got there, I went to go get some muffins out of the container, only to find that the container was totally empty. And I was like, man... Those heathen children, they ate all the muffins. And so I went and I got in the van and I sat down and I looked back and I noticed that my middle son, my six-year-old, had a bowl <laughs> that was heaping with muffins. He had his mouth, I looked at my, my oldest son had a muffin or two, my, my daughter had a muffin, my wife had a couple muffins, and my son had a bowl that was heaping over with muffins. And he had his mouth full and I looked at him and I said, dude, I said, how many muffins do you have? And my son with his mouth full, he goes, nine. <laughs> and I was, like, I was like, buddy, you have nine muffins. I don't have any muffins. He's like, give me a muffin, <laughs> please. And, uh, and, and I kid you not, this is what this kid does. He looks down at his bowl of nine muffins. He sighs. He goes, <sighs> takes out one of the muffins. He proceeds to peel off a corner of one of the nine and reluctantly hand it to me. <laughs> and I was like, dude, give me a muffin. And so I, I ended up making him help. We dispersed the muffins. I made him share. He wasn't real happy about that, but we, we did all that. And when all that happened, I remember I sat down in my van. I was thinking about it. And I thought, now that, this whole scenario reminds me of the book of Amos, which is exactly what I know all of you were thinking when I was telling that story. <laughs> I said, I remind you. But here's, here's what I mean. If you've been with us uh, in this series, you might remember we said that the book of Amos reveals to us something that we've been calling seven undercurrents of spiritual drift. And here's what we meant by that. We said that the book of Amos was written at a time, it was actually written in 8th century BC to God's people, the Israelites, to the nation of God's people who were called to represent God's name, who were called to reflect God's character and God's heart to the world around them. And we said that what had happened was that God's people had drifted dangerously far from the heart of God, and they were completely unaware of it. And so God uh, sends this messenger, this guy named Amos, to come to deliver really a wake-up call to God's people who have drifted dangerously far from his heart and were not aware of this. And so we said, man, the message of Amos is actually a pretty alarming message. We said it's a bit of a jolting message. But we said the reason is because it's a wake-up call that God's people who were called to reflect God's character and called to reflect God's heart to the world around them had drifted dangerously far from God's heart. And so God sends a wake-up call in Amos. And so here's what we said about this too. We said and not only is the book of Amos written to God's people back then, we said that the book of Amos is actually written to God's people today as well. That this is not just some antiquated book that's written to some people back then and some time and some archaic thing, but this book is, is strikingly relevant to us today. And we said this, we said that for those of us who follow Jesus in this room, and I know that not everyone in this room might identify yourself that way, some of you might still be investigating the whole Jesus thing, but for those of us who would say that yes, we follow Jesus, we said that this is a very relevant message because we are equally susceptible to drifting in the same ways. That God's people today 
find themselves susceptible to this same dangerous drift. And so we've been talking about the seven undercurrents of spiritual drift. Last week, we looked at the first one. If you're here, you might remember we said that the first dangerous drift that can happen is we can drift into something we call domesticating God. And so we spent all last week unpacking that. What do we mean by that? If you missed that, I'd encourage you to go back. You can listen to that. You can watch that on our website, on our app, on our podcast. All of that is for free, by the way, and we'd encourage you to do that. But today we want to talk about the second spiritual drift. And this is something that I call blessing blockage. Blessing blockage. Uh, what in the world does that mean? That doesn't sound good, right? Blessing blockage. What does that mean? How do we drift into this? And what does this have to do with my six-year-old son with nine muffins? Well, I want to talk about that with the rest of our time today. And so, if you, like I said, if you've got your Bibles, we're going to look at Amos chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 6 and kind of get an idea of what this idea is of blessing blockage. So Amos 2. Now, before we, we start reading verse 6, let me just uh, refresh you uh, that what we said last week was we said that God is going to issue a series of indictments against his people. He's about to issue a series of charges against his people who had drifted from his heart. And those indictments that God is going to issue to his people begin in verse 6. So here's what God says to his people. This is what the Lord says. For three sins of Israel, even for four, I will not relent. They sell the innocent for silver, and they sell the needy for a pair of sandals. They trample on the heads of the poor, as on the dust of the ground, and they deny justice to the oppressed. And now, let's just pause here for a minute, because I want you to notice that God's very first charge against his people, God's very first indictment, now he's going to give a whole list of charges and a whole series of indictments. But I want you to notice the first problem that God says I have with his, he says, I, this is the first problem I have with my people, is their treatment of the poor and the needy and the oppressed. God says, here's my first issue. Here's my first problem. And he says, it is your treatment of, it is your neglect of, it is even your contribution to the oppression of those who are in needy and are impoverished situations. That's God's first problem he has with his people. In fact, I want you to notice the language of what he says here. In verse six, he says, uh, the Israelites sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. Now, what's that talking about? Well, what he's referring to here, what Amos is referring to, was actually a practice that would have been pretty common back in this time. And what he's referring to is that, is that uh, history tells us that in eighth century Israel, uh, there was an ever-expanding gap between the rich and the poor. The rich were getting richer, the poor were getting poorer. And it actually came to a place in this society where the rich not only neglected and ignored the poor, but they would oftentimes oppress and exploit them for the sake of personal gain. And so when the Bible says that they would sell the innocent for silver, what that's referring to is the fact that these wealthy people were actually selling their own people into slavery for personal gain. And so what would happen is the, the wealthy in Israel uh, they would put heavy taxes and they'd put heavy fines on the poor and, the, and they would gain off of that. They'd become uh, more rich, more wealthy as a result of that. And then what would happen is when they could no longer pay these taxes and they could no longer pay these fines, they were forced to be sold into debt slavery. And so the wealthy got wealthier and the poor got poorer. And God says, here's the big issue I have. You are selling your own people into slavery. He says, you sell the innocent for a pair of silver, that is, or for silver, that is, you sell them for profit. But then notice he says, and you sell the needy for a pair of sandals. Now, what's that talking about? Is that saying that they were selling people for shoes? Well, let, let me explain what, what he's probably talking about here. Most likely, what Amos is referring to was actually a common business practice back in this time. In fact, let me show you. I thought this was sort of interesting. 
Uh, the book of Ruth actually tells us about some of the ancient customs of business back in this time. Here's what it says. Now, earlier, now in earlier times in Israel, um, for the redemption and the transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. That was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So there's this kind of this weird business policy back then that whenever you finalized a deal with someone, whenever you wanted to make it legal, like rather than signing a contract or giving a handshake, you would take off your shoe and give it to the other guy. And I, I, I remember reading that and I thought, man, how did that even become a thing? How did that even start? And then it also made me think, I, I kind of want to bring that back. I think that'd be kind of cool. I think I want to give it a shot. So next time, next time I'm in a business transaction with someone, which I'm, I'm like never in a business transaction. But next time I'm in a business transaction, like if I'm buying a, a lawnmower, which I don't, I don't even know why I'm buying, buying a lawnmower. But if I was like, hey, I'll give you 100 bucks for that mower. And if I've got a deal, all right, we got a deal. Okay, yeah, here's my shoe. You take that, right? Like I just, I don't know why they would do that, but it's what they did. And so what, in Amos, when it says that they sell the innocent for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, here's what it's saying. They, they would treat the poor like, like commodity. Uh, they would use them for their personal advancement, for their personal gain. That's why it says here that they trampled on the heads of the poor. In other words, they stepped on the poor. They would walk all over the poor for the sake of their own advancement, for the sake of their own wealth, and for their own abundance. And that's kind of what the Bible says. And so God looks, he says, this is my first indictment against you. And, and, and here, here's the question I want us to think about just for a moment, okay, and it's this. How in the world did God's people, the Israelites, get to this point? How in the world did they get to a place that they were literally selling their own people into slavery? And the reason that's such an important question is because some of you know this already. The Israelites in their history were known at one period of time for being slaves. Some of you might remember this. In the book of Exodus, the Bible tells us that the Israelites, God's people, this entire nation was enslaved to Pharaoh in Egypt. And so they were oppressed, they were slaves, they were being harshly treated, and so they cried out to God. You guys remember this? In the book of Exodus, they cried out to God, and they said, God, deliver us from this captivity. God, deliver us from this oppression. God, deliver us from this, this terrible situation. And God, because he cares for the needy, because he cares for the, 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 those who, can, who are in oppressed situations, because God defends the defenseless, he answered their prayer, he sent a deliverer in Moses, he delivered them out of captivity and he brought them into the promised land. But now do you notice, hundreds of years later, these same people who at one time were slaves in Egypt are now selling their own people into slavery. And the question is, how did that happen? How do you go from being slaves who, who, who understand the oppression and the hardship of that situation to now all of a sudden being in a place where you're the ones that are selling your own people into slavery? How do you go from being the oppressed to now becoming those who are doing the oppressing. How does that happen? And here's what I believe. I believe what had happened is, again, they had drifted. And they had drifted dangerously far from the heart of God. Because what's the heart of God? The heart of God is for the poor, it's for the needy, it's for the oppressed, it's to defend those who cannot defend themselves. And now the Israelites, who were called to reflect the heart of God, were doing the very things that broke the heart of God. And so God says, here's my issue with you. My issue is uh, the way that you treat the poor and the needy and the oppressed. And again, how did that drift take place? How did that drift happen? Well, I believe one of the key contributions to that drift, once again, is what I said before, is this idea of blessing blockage. I think what had happened is they had drifted into blessing blockage. Now, there's that term again. There it is again. What in the world do I mean by that? What is blessing blockage? Let's think about this for a minute. 
Okay, so, so if you were here a couple weeks ago, you might remember, we said that during the time of, of the book of Amos, when it was written, it was a time in Israel's history that they were experiencing unparalleled abundance, unparalleled affluence. They were wealthy. I mean, they were wealthy. And what we talked about a couple weeks ago is we said that underneath the, the, the leadership of a guy named King Jeroboam II, who was the king back in this time, that they experienced a time of national security, international peace, and as a result of that, there was an economic boom. They were wealthy. They had so much money. They had so much abundance. They had so much affluence. They had so much opportunity. And the Bible says that they experienced this season of just unparalleled abundance. In fact, let me just show you. I want to give you a window into the type of abundance that these people were experiencing. If you, if you have your Bibles again, flip over with me just a page to chapter 6. Now, I want you to notice in chapter 6, we're going to start in verse 4, Amos is going to give us a window into the type of abundance these people were experiencing in this time. So here's what he says, Amos chapter 6, verse 4. He says, you, Israelites, you lie on beds adorned with ivory, and you lounge on your couches. Now, real quick, what he's referring to here, this would have been a reference to the fact that the Israelites were living in such a state of abundance that they were able to pour major resources and major money into personal comforts. He says, man, you guys, you guys have such abundance that you spend exorbitant, an exorbitant amount of resources and money in personal comfort. He talks about their beds that were adorned with ivory. In other words, that's saying, man, you have the nicest of beds. Ivory, as you guys know, it's a precious commodity, super valuable. And he's saying, you have the, the finest of of the beds. You have the nicest couches. You're able to pour so much into your own comfort, into your, so much abundance that you're able to dedicate major resources to your own personal comfort. You have the nicest beds. You have the steely, posturpedic, you know, California King sleep number mattress with the nice, you know, everything kind of all decked. He's like, you have the best cow custom lazy boy. Everything is super comfortable. Again, he's just speaking to the fact that these guys had a, an amazing amount of excess that they could pour major resources into personal comfort. Look what he says next. He says, you dine on choice lambs and on fattened calves. And again, what he's referring to here is the accessibility that these people had just to uh, really choice food. He says, choice lambs, that would have been like rack of lamb and fattened calves. It's like veal parmesan. He's like, you guys have the nicest food, just the most decadent cuisine. I thought it was kind of interesting. I was reading one commentary this past week, and the commentator pointed out that the average Israelite in this time would have eaten meat uh, no more than about three times a year. Uh, meat would have been considered such a valuable thing. It would have been such a precious thing that you would have really reserved it for special events. You would have only really eaten meat uh, during major festivals or religious feasts or maybe during a wedding or something like that. But outside of that, man, it was like grain and bread. Like that's what you would eat, but fruits and vegetables, but not meat. And yet the Bible says that in this time, Amos says, man, you guys are dining like daily on choice lamb and on fat and calves. In other words, he just says, you guys have an abundance of food. You have an abundance of of just really, really, really nice, nice food. And then he goes on, he says this, he says, you strum away on your harps like David and you improvise on musical instruments. The reference to David here, by the way, David was actually a very famous king in Israel. And so what Amos is saying, he said, man, you guys live like kings. You live like kings. He says, you strum away on your harps and you improvise on musical instruments. What's that talking about? He's basically saying, you have, you have ample time in which you can invest your time in entertainment in the arts, in music. He says, you have the best of music. 
You have access to the best music. You have all of the best apps. You have Pandora and Spotify and Apple Music and, and, and uh, Amazon. You have it all, Amazon Music. You have all of them. It says you have the, the greatest entertainment. You have all of the major uh, television apps. You have Netflix and Amazon. You have so much time to dedicate to the arts and to entertainment, just the abundance that these people had. Notice what he says is you drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. Back in this time, you would store your wine not in, uh, not in bottles. You would store it in bowls. And so when the Bible says they drink wine by the bowlful, that meant, man, you, he's saying, you got to shotgun bottles of wine. Like, you just go right for it. You don't even pour it in glasses. You have the finest of lotions. What is he talking about? Again, he's just talking about, man, the indulgent lifestyle of these people. All of this is just painting a picture for us of the affluence and the abundance that these people were experiencing. But yet, look what God says. He says, but you don't grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Now, some of you might be thinking, who's Joseph? Well, Joseph, by the way, was a representative name of the entire nation of Israel. And so what he was saying is this. He's saying, listen, man, you guys, you give all of your time and all of your energy and all of your pursuit and all of your resources go into comfort and they go into luxury and they go into entertainment. He says, but meanwhile, your heart never breaks over the fact that your own people are falling into ruin." Your heart never breaks that there's needy and that there's poor that are among you and that you're contributing to that. And so he looks, and all of this, by the way, causes Amos to say something that would have been deeply offensive to these people. I want to show you something that Amos says that um, it's no wonder he was not a popular prophet um, because he said stuff like this. But let me just show you what he said in chapter 4, verse 1. Here's what Amos says to the Israelites. He says, hear this word, you cows of Bashan, on Mount Samaria, you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and say to your husbands, bring us some drinks. This would have been super offensive. Here's why. Notice what he calls these people. You cows of Bashan. Bashan, by the way, was a region, very flood, a very a lush, fertile region. And they bred cows there basically with the sole purpose for slaughter. So these cows would eat and eat and eat and eat and eat and get fat and fat and fat and fat and fat. And then they eventually would just get killed for slaughter. And Amos looks at them and he says, you fat cows and notice if that's not offensive and that's pretty offensive but if that's not offensive enough look specifically who he's calling fat cows you women that's party foul number one man you don't do that look at how the NLT puts it the NLT says it this way listen to me you fat cows living in Samaria you women who oppress the poor and crush the needy and who are always calling to your husbands bring us another drink (laughs) Some of you are like, I think I just found my new favorite verse. And uh, get that embroidered on something. I don't know. But if that's your new favorite verse, there's something wrong with you. Listen, here's the, here's the thing, though, all right? Um, I could go on and talk about the situation back then and that type of thing. But here, here's, here's the thing. I don't think I need to go much further for you to make the connection uh, between 8th century Israel and 21st century America, all right? There, th- this book, like I said, is chillingly relevant to us in our cultural circumstance, in our cultural situation today. Here's the truth, and we all know this. This is no surprise to any of us. We already know this. We, us, here in this room, we are in a moment in which we are experiencing unprecedented, unparalleled abundance and affluence that surpasses that of what we see in 8th century Israel. We just do. That's what we're experiencing. That, that, that's not a shock to any of us. We know this. We know this. 
right? And and, and the relevancy of what we're reading right now is strikingly relevant to us. I know I could show you and you could show me, and we've all seen it before, the the, the stats and the facts that explain um, America's affluence as it is compared to the rest of the world. You've seen these statistics before. We've seen these facts. We all know about it. But let let me just show you a few uh, just to help us get some perspective. So here's just a few things. Today, today, for example, some of you know this, nearly one billion people on earth live on less than one American dollar a day. Today, nearly one billion people. Half of the world population, just about half, lives on less than two American dollars a day. And meanwhile, the average teenager in America spends about 150 bucks a week. Now again, this is just pointing out, once again, the abundance that, that we experience here. It's fascinating those below the poverty line in the United States are still in the top 15% of the wealthiest people on earth. So so even the poor in our country are in the top 15% of the wealthiest in the history of the world, not just in the current world, but in the history of the world. Look at this. Today, 40% of people, nearly half the people in the world, lack basic sanitation, access to health care, access to to basic sanitation. Over a billion people don't have access to clean drinking water. What I thought was interesting is not only, of course, do we have access to clean drinking water, but in the 4th of July this year alone, America spent $1 billion on beer in that one day and $568 million on wine. They drink wine by the bowlful, right? And who knows how much money we spent on, explo- on explosives, right? Because beer and explosives go really well together, I guess. That's how we celebrate America. And okay, so, so here's the thing. All right, now, this, this next thing, uh, I, I want to show you too. Nearly one billion people can't read or spell their name. Every seven seconds, a child under the age of five in the world dies of hunger somewhere. Meanwhile, Americans throw away about 14% of the food that we purchase. Uh, this one was real sobering to me. And, and uh, in order to provide basic needs, water, health, food, etc., for the whole world, it would cost an estimated $20 billion a year, which is what Americans spend on average each year in ice cream. And, uh, and, you know, when I was looking at this and, and when I look at this, um, man, it can be kind of sobering. And, and I, I point all this out just to say what, what I think all of us already know. And that is that we, in this room, we are living in a moment in, in the history of the world, in our culture, where we are experiencing abundance that is unparalleled. It exceeds that of what we see in 8th century B.C. Now, here's the question. Right? Here's the question. So what do we do with all this stuff? What do we do with these facts? What do we do with this, with this picture? Because quite honestly, I think for some of us, if you're anything like me, what I do with this is I, I tend to just feel guilty. I just feel guilty. I read it and I'm like, man, I have so much and I'm so ungrateful. I'm just a cow. I'm a fat cow of Bashan. That's what I am. Put a bell around my neck and call me Bessie. That's me, right? And and I get guilty. I feel guilty about it. For some of us, I think quite honestly, maybe, maybe for you, you just get overwhelmed. We look at this and we just get overwhelmed. We look at it and we think to ourselves, man, I don't like that it's like this. I don't like that it, this is a situation, but I don't know what to do about it. I don't know what to do about it. See, it's not that simple. It's not like we can just, it's not like we can just give money and that's going to solve every problem in the world because there's so, many, there's so many complexities. And so I don't like the way it is, but I don't know what to do about it. For some of us, honestly, I think we feel really overwhelmed. For some of us, we might even feel defensive when we see this. We might feel defensive about, well, whoa, 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 well, this is why I deserve it. And this is why I worked for what I had. And for some of us, we get defensive. Now, listen, I just want you to hear me on this for a moment, okay? Please hear my heart. The point of today's message, and I believe the point of Amos, 
is not to make anyone feel guilty. That's not what it is. My, my hope in this sermon is not just that we look at this and say, man, I feel guilty and now let's just go away and feel convicted and feel bad that we have stuff. Like, that's not it. Here's what I want you to hear. I want you to hear, I want you to hear me so clearly on this because it's so important. The problem is not abundance. Right, I want you to hear me on this. The problem is never abundance. God's problem with the people in Amos' time, with the Israelites, was not their abundance. That was not God's indictment. That was not his problem that he had against them. The problem is never abundance. Our, the problem today is not abundance. The problem is not that we have an abundance of wealth or that we have an abundance of opportunities and education or that we have an abundance of sanitation and health needs and all that. That's not the problem. In fact, I think that all of those things are reasons for us not to feel guilty, but reasons for us to feel thankful. Man, we gotta be thank, man, God, thank you that we were born in a country. We don't have to worry about having clean water today. Man, God, thank you that we were born in a country. We have ample opportunity to pursue education. God, thank you that we live in a place where we can pursue some of our dreams and, and experience the abundance that, 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 that we get to experience. I think that the problem is never abundance. It's not abundance. Here's the problem. The problem is when abon abundance stops with us. That's the problem. The problem is blessing blockage. It's when blessing flows into us, but somewhere along the line, we start to believe that it's for us. We become entitled to it, and it doesn't flow out of us into the needs of others. Blessing blockage is the problem. L let me see if I can say it a different way, and maybe a more simple way, to try to explain what I believe God's heart is in the book of Amos. Okay, so I want to try to illustrate this in a little bit of a different way. And to do this, I'm going to break script a little bit, and I actually want to ask for some crowd participation. You guys be willing to do that with me for a second? Just play along. All right, so real, real quick, show of hands, how many of you like chocolate chip cookies? Show of hands. All right, some of you don't. That's really surprising to me. All right, can I have, um, again, breaking script here, can I have one bold and daring person who'd be willing to come up on the stage with me here who likes chocolate chip cookies? Raise your hand. Yeah, Tracy, come on up here. Thank you. Would you guys give her a quick round of applause for coming up here? Awesome. Thank you for doing that. All right, so before, before we, it's going to be a simple illustration, but before we do it, why, could you just quickly introduce yourself to everyone, even though I already said your name, and uh, tell us maybe how long you've been coming to the Medina East Campus. So. Um, I'm Tracy Gibson, and I've been coming since we were in the other, like the kids' place. I mean, it was like yeah. three, four years ago. So. Yes, that had to been a but few I years ago. I also went to Bath when Pastor Tony was... Pastor. That's right. Yeah, so we've known each other for a long time. This wasn't staged, I promise, but uh, so this is Tracy. Tracy, thanks for doing this. I know it's a little awkward to stand in front of a couple hundred of your friends, but that's a good thing. And, uh, and so for the sake of our illustration, Tracy, I actually brought with me um, something. I brought with me a bag of delicious, famous Amos cookies. And I thought, I thought since we're in the series of Amos, I would have to bring famous Amos. You get it? Famous Amos. So, so, Tracy, you like Famous Amos cookies? Yes. Okay, I like Famous Amos cookies. I think they're delicious and wonderful. And I, have, I happen to have not just one bag of delicious Famous Amos cookies, but I actually have two bags of delicious Famous Amos cookies, which is actually pretty convenient because how many of us are up here right now? Two. There's two of us, and I happen to have two bags of delicious Famous Amos cookies, which is a good thing, and I think that makes a lot of sense. So let's just, let's just kind of review the facts real quick, Tracy. Okay, so I have how many bags of delicious Famous Amos cookies right now? I have two. And you have how many bags of delicious, famous cookies? You have none. 
You have no backs. Well, that's really unfortunate. I wish you had some. I think it'd be good if you had some delicious. Is there anything that you think maybe we could do that would remedy this situation? We could share. That we could, we could, I could give you a bag of, of my, I could give you my sandal. <laughs> I could, I could give you a, one of my, or, or what I could do. How about this? What if I prayed for you? I pray for you? Yeah. Because I know you don't have any delicious, famous, famous cookies, and I, I think God wants you to have some delicious, famous, famous cookies. So how about I pray for you? I would lay hands on you and pray, but I got two bags of cookies in my hands. So I can't do it. So why don't, we just, why don't we pray for Trace together, okay? So God, just I want to say thank you for Tracy. And, and God, she doesn't have any delicious, famous, famous cookies. And I know, God, that it's your heart that, you would, that, that everyone would experience your blessing. And because she doesn't have any famous, famous cookies, I just ask you that you somehow miraculously, God, would just provide that in her life. Would you even bring someone along who has enough cookies that they could share them with her? Also, God, I want to pray uh, that you would maybe give me more cookies. And um, truth is, at work, I don't think I'm getting enough cookies, and I'm retiring, and I know i got to have enough cookies for that later. Thank you for the cookies that you've given me. So I pray for Tracy. She doesn't have any. I pray for me that you give me more. Amen. Amen. I feel better. You feel better? Okay, well, well, thanks anyway. I appreciate it. You go ahead and sit down now. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Come back up. I'm just kidding, Tracy. You come, come back up here for just a second. Thank you. This is stupid, right? So, so let, me, let me just ask you guys a real obvious question. When you see me up here with two bags of delicious, famous Amos cookies, and you see Tracy, who has none, what is the one word that is going through your mind? Say it with me. Right? Share. Share. Last night, someone said, jerk. I was like, huh? <laughs> It's true. That's true too. It's share. Share. The problem, the problem is not abundance. It's not the problem. The problem is when I believe that abundance stops with me. That's the problem. It's when I believe that this is where it ends. Listen, the point of, of us looking at our abundance is not that we feel guilty about it. It's not, that, it's not that God says, you just need to eat no cookies. You need to eat dirt. That's not what it is. God says, no, I love you and I've provided for you. And I've given you enough, but we never ask why. Why? Why is God giving me two bags? Could it be because he wants me to, to share, right? If, if you guys are good parents in this room, good parents, and you see one of your kids who has two bags of cookies and your other child who has none, if you see one of your children who has nine muffins and the other has none, what are you going to tell them to do? Share. The problem is not abundance. It's not, about a, it's not about a guilt trip. It's, not, it's, it's just about this. It's about, man, share, which is exactly what I want to do now. So, Tracy, I just want to say thank you for, for doing that. Thanks for playing with me a little bit. So you can have both bags of one for you and one to share. So that's good. I say thank you for Tracy. Appreciate that. Good. Yeah. Now, I just want you to think about this with me for a minute, all right? If you were standing up here and you had two bags of cookies and there was someone standing next to you and they had none, you would feel compelled. You would feel compelled in their presence to share. Now, here's what I want you to think about. If we could see like God sees, and we could see the world like God sees it, and he could see his children here in Medina, Ohio, in the situation that we're born into with our bags of cookies, and he could see us standing next to those, what do you think the heart of our Heavenly Father would be to his children? Share. I want you to share. You see, the problem isn't abundance. The problem is never abundance. God has given us 
abundance. So we thank him for it. We praise him for it. Man, thank God we live where we live and the opportunities that we have. But it can't stop with us. It can't stop with us. It's got to flow through us. You see, one of the interesting things is when you go to the Bible, you will see that there is a theology to blessing. That God blesses not just so that we will be blessed, but God blesses so that we might become a blessing. We see this first show up with Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. When God says to him, I'm going to make you into a great nation and I'm going to bless you. He says that you will become a blessing. See, what God says to Abraham is this. He says, I want to bless you, Abraham. I want to, I want to give you abundance. I want to give you, I want to give you blessing. He says, but the, the hope is not that that blessing gets blocked up with you. The hope is that blessing would flow through you and that through you, all of the nations will be blessed as a result of that. And so the problem is never abundance. The problem is never blessing. It's blessing blockage. It's when it gets stopped up. See, this is what happened with, with God's people in the time of Amos. In Amos's time, what happened was they experienced abundance, they experienced affluence, they experienced this blessing that God had given them, and it was a wonderful thing, but somewhere along the way, they began to believe that that was for them. And blessing blockage took place, and because of the blessing blockage in their hearts, their hearts became infected. And all of a sudden, they became blinded to the needs of those around them, and they were full of greed. And the Bible says that it had gotten so bad, they had drifted so far in their blessing blockage, they actually went as far to oppress and to, and to exploit the poor for the sake of their own advancement. And you see that, listen, the, the, we are just as susceptible to this same drift. That when we start to look at the abundance that God has given us and we start to believe that it's for us when it flows into us but it never flows out to us, what happens is we get an infected heart. And all of a sudden we get full of greed and we're blinded to the needs around us and we drift dangerously far from God's heart. So here's the question. How do we fight blessing blockage? How do we keep this from happening? And listen, let me give you a couple practical thoughts as we kind of finish up here. And here they are. Okay, here's what I know. Here's what I know. I know this much. <clears throat> well, that's a quote that I was going to read that I'm not going to read anymore. I know this much. <laughs> I know we can't do everything. We can't do everything. I know that. And, and listen, here's the thing. If you're anything like me, sometimes when I look at the needs uh, that we see in the world, uh, when I look at, when I watch the news and I see the, the hurricane disasters and the needs there, and when I hear about some of the, the injustices taking place on our planet, when I hear about human trafficking or I hear about poor or the orphans or those orphans in different places, when I hear about that, sometimes I get overwhelmed because, because I'm like, man, we, can't, we just can't do everything. There's so much to do, we don't even know where to start sometimes. And I know we can't do everything. And here's what's interesting. Did you know that the Bible actually says that we will not do everything? Jesus actually said this. Jesus said, the poor will always be among you. And what Jesus meant was this, as long as there's sin on this earth, as long as uh, sin is still here, this side of heaven, there will always be corruption, there will always be poor, there will always be the needy, there will always be people who are oppressed and in impoverished situations on this side of heaven until the kingdom of God comes in its fullness here on earth. The poor will always be among us. So we will never satisfy all of the needs in this world. We just won't. So we can't do everything. We can't do everything. But here's what I also know. We can't do nothing. We can't do nothing. Again, if you're like me, what I can do sometimes is I can look at all the needs and I become so overwhelmed. I don't even know where to start. I get paralyzed and I don't do anything. 
And I can't, I'm like, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. There's so many needs. I guess I'll just go to Starbucks and get another pumpkin spice latte and think about it, right? And, and I end up not doing anything. And here's what I know, man. We can't do everything, and I know we can't do nothing. I know we can't do nothing. So where does that leave us? I think it leaves us here. We must do something. I think we gotta do something. Something. Our hearts and our lives some way need to reflect God's heart in this in these ways. So, so, so here's the real simple challenge I want to give us today. It's a, it's a real practical, real simple challenge. I want to challenge those who follow Jesus, who are called by his name and who are called to represent his heart, to talk to God and to prayerfully consider what is the something you can do? What is the, what is the something? I want to challenge you to think about what is one, just one step, one small step you can take in the direction of reflecting God's heart to care for the poor, to care for the needy, to care for the oppressed. What's one small step you can take in that direction? Because here's the thing. For some of you, quite honestly, you're already doing this. For some of you, you are already, you're already taking steps in your life where you are looking to invest your, of your resources or your time or your energy in some way to reflect God's heart locally or globally or in some way in these ways, right? Some of you are doing this already. Some of you are already, maybe, maybe some of you are already pouring resources into reputable organizations that are actually making an impact in this world, in these things that matter to God. For some of you, maybe right now, you're already giving your time in some way or another to some organization that helps in our community in some way. Maybe you're already doing that. And if you're already doing that, I want you to hear me, man, keep doing that. I think this is how we fight blessing blockage. The way we fight it is we allow the abundance and we allow the blessing we experience to flow through us in some way into the lives of other people. And so some of you are already doing this, and that's awesome. And I would even encourage you to talk to God even now and say, man, God, in light of this message, is there anything that you would have me to do? Is there anything you would have me to do? Now, here's the thing. Some of us are doing this. Quite honestly, some of us just aren't. Some of us follow Christ, and if we're being real honest, there is nothing currently in our budget that at all reflects God's heart in this matter. For some of us in our, in our calendar, there is nothing that reflects God's heart at all in these areas. For some of us in our sweat equity, there is nothing that reflects God's heart at all in these areas. And my, my, my challenge to you is super simple, is how about this? What if you just took one step? just did. I'm not saying cash out retirement and go fly across the ocean and start an orphanage. I'm not saying, maybe, maybe for some of you, you actually do need to do that. Maybe you do. But I'm just saying, what's one thing you can do? One thing you can do. And listen, here's the thing. For some of you, maybe you already know. Maybe you've already heard about something that, that is tied to God's heart for the orphan, for the poor, for the widow, for the needy. Maybe, you already, maybe, maybe there's already an opportunity that God has convicted you on, but you've just not taken action on it yet. I just say take action on that. Maybe for some of us, though, we don't even know where to start. We're like, I want to do something. My intentions are good. I just don't know where I'd begin. And if that's the case, I want to try to help us out, all right? And the way to do that is in your program, I just want to point out real fast, there is a card uh, that, that helps spell out some of our give it away opportunities here at Grace Church. Now, let me just explain this. If you're newer to Grace, here's what give it away means for us. Give it away is basically our attempt to try to, to try to give away the gospel to the things that matter to the heart of God in our, in our community and in our world, okay? So this is, this is basically us trying to reflect God's heart for the poor and for the needy and for the oppressed and to care for the things that God cares about. I think it's probably worth me mentioning 
that all of these opportunities, we don't profit at all off of any of these things. This is our opportunity to try to give out as a church into our community, into our world. And I just want to walk you through this a little bit. There's a couple, maybe for, and these are, by the way, these are all just suggestions for you, suggested ways that you can take a step in this direction. You'll notice the first thing on there, there's an interest meeting. Maybe for you, that's your first step. Maybe your first step is as simple as, I'm just going to go to an interest meeting. And I just want to hear about what are the local and global uh, partnerships that we have here at the Medina East Campus and how can I get connected to those. It's maybe as easy as just going to a meeting and hearing the heart about that. Uh, the second thing you'll notice is something called Discovering Local and Global Missions class. That's actually a class, if you're interested in hearing more about God's heart for missions, God's heart globally, uh, this is a, a, a course that will walk you through that. If you're someone that's interested in being part of the Give It Away team here at Grace Church, this would be a great step for you to get connected to this class. Right? On the flip side, uh, you will notice that there is a list of some of our global and local partnerships, and there are multiple ways to get involved. Uh, there, you can pray, you can give, you can go. Um, you can funnel resources to, towards these things. You can funnel time towards these things. Just anything uh, we would encourage you to do. You'll notice the first one is Oasis of Hope. Oasis of Hope, by the way, is a local partnership here that Medina has with, uh, with an organization here in Medina that helps specifically needy women, uh, single moms in, in difficult situations. There's a lot of ways to connect to this. You can give of your time to this organization. They, they, they always need volunteers to connect in those ways. You can give of your resources. They're always taking donations of clothes and uh, of shoes and those type of things. It's a be an awesome way to get connected uh, to Oasis of Hope. Jaguza Children's Ministry, uh, that is a ministry in Uganda that we're partnered with. We've actually sent teams here to Uganda. Uh, we work closely in association with them. They are a reputable organization that we trust. And basically what they do is they help orphans in Uganda to get basic needs, food, education, and clothing. And so what they have is they have a, 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 they have a child sponsorship program in which there are 41 orphans that we are working with there. And my heart is, I, and I'm kind of hoping that we as a campus together, maybe we could just sponsor all 41 of those, those orphans. That'd be awesome if we could. We know we could do that. That'd be a really tangible way we could do that. Maybe for some of you to consider going there and helping participate in the relief work that's happening. Mexico, Mazatlan, Mexico is another one of our international partners which we're helping with. There's some opportunities there. The Encompass World Partners. Encompass World Partners is the mission sending agency that Grace Church works in association with. There's all kinds of opportunities to get connected here. And then, of course, the disaster relief. This, is one, this one's super immediate. Uh, in, in light of the hurricanes that have been happening, Irma and Harvey, uh, these are ways that we can respond right now to, to help take the abundance we have to flow into others. Now, all of this, again, I'm just saying, all of these are just suggestions. I'm not saying we do everything, but here's what I know. We can't do nothing. We gotta do something. We gotta do something. And so I wanna encourage you to take some time to really pray and think about, man, what are some ways that I can get connected? On the bottom of those cards, if you're interested in anything, you can check boxes that apply, put your information. We'd love to follow up with you. Uh, you can pass that in the basket at the end. We'll follow up with you. Or if you have other questions, we'd love to help you answer it. If I wasn't clear on any of that, you can actually go out uh, in the cafe afterwards. Steve Van Meter, there's a table out there. Uh, Steve Van Meter is our give it away representative here. And he would love to help answer some questions and get you connected to any of these things. But the bottom line, once again, is this, man. We just, we just gotta do something. We just gotta do something. The point of this message isn't to feel guilty because feeling guilty never accomplishes anything anyway. It's just to, it's just to look and say, man, what can we do? What can we do to enact life change? 
in these ways. I'm gonna ask the band to come up, and as they do, I wanna just end with these two verses that I think are very pertinent. Proverbs 19, 17 says this, whoever is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward them for what they have done. See what the Bible says? The Bible says that, that the way that we treat the poor and the needy reflects how we treat God himself. Proverbs 14, 31 says, whoever oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Let's pray together. Well, God, we, we know uh, your heart in this matter. Father, we know that, uh, that especially for those of us who follow you, who are called to, to represent your name, Father, that we want to represent your heart, and we know that you love, that your heart is that you love and you care for the oppressed and the needy and the orphan and the poor. God, that you defend the defenseless, the, the defenseless and you care for them. And so, Father, we know that's your heart. And yet, Father, it's easy for us to, to, to drift from that into blessing blockage. And so, God, I, I just want to pray that you would help us, Father. Help us to see the ways, maybe even in our own hearts, that we've drifted into this. Help us to see maybe in the ways that, that blessing has flowed into us, but it hasn't flowed out. And keep us from that, God. Keep us from, from having an infected heart where we become blinded to the needs of others, where we become immersed in, in, um, in accruing more for ourselves. God, please keep us from that. And, uh, and Father, as we think about your heart, I pray that you'd help us to reflect your heart, that we, that we would be able to take the amazing abundance that you've given us. The truth is, God, we have two bags of cookies. We got nine muffins. And that's awesome, and we thank you for it because the problem is in abundance. But I pray that you'd help abundance not stop with us, but to flow through us, that we may become a blessing to others. And, and more than anything, Jesus, we just want to say thank you for, for Christ. Thank you, for, thank, you for, thank you, God, for your son. Uh, because honestly, we were the ones who were poor. We were the ones who were needy. We were the ones who were oppressed. And you, the Bible says, who were rich, made yourself poor that we might become rich, that we might inherit the righteousness of Christ. And because of that, God, we want to be like you. That's the gospel. We want to enact the gospel. And Father, we want to be conduits of your blessing into our community and into our world in a way that reflects your heart. Father, I, uh, I just want to say thank you for this message, God, and uh, I'm, I'm thankful for the way that it, uh, it convicts. I'm thankful for the way that your spirit uses this to challenge us. But God, I pray that it wouldn't stop at conviction. I pray that it would work itself into life change. Help our lives to be changed. Help us to make a change as a result of what we've heard. So I pray, God, that you'd help us to be blessed for having heard what we heard today. And God, I pray that you would help us to be challenged to do something as a result, to look not just to be hearers of the word, but to be doers of it as well. And so we want to ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.